For a very long time, the Philippines has been in the shadow of major powers. The United States for almost a century, and more recently, China. But what about other powers? In recent years, the Philippines has been cultivating ties with Japan, with South Korea, with India, and other President Duterte, even with Russia. One country that the Philippines perhaps could build even a more fruitful and extensive relationship with is France. As far as France is concerned, it is not just any power. It is a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. It's a country with a nuclear weapons. It has one of the biggest economies on earth and one of the most sophisticated companies and brands anywhere on earth. Since President Emmanuel Macron took over the Elysee Palace, France has tried to reassert its influence on the international stage. In fact, recently, President Macron created a lot of controversy when he suggested that France does not want to necessarily follow the United States on major geopolitical issues, including Taiwan. Well, to be fair, President Macron, or at least his supporters claim that he was misquoted or his words were taken out of context. But the reality is that as far as Macron is concerned, he's just echoing what many French presidents have been saying for the past half a century. What France wants is strategic autonomy. And with France developing greater voice on the international stage and trying to flex its diplomatic, economic, and even military muscle, deploying naval assets all across the Indo-Pacific more and more throughout the years, the question is, what is the state of Philippine relationship with France? To better understand that, we have no less than France Ambassador to Philippines, Michel Bucos. In this interview, we're going to discuss all important dimensions of bilateral relationship, not only defense, not only economics, but also culture and people-to-people -people cooperation. We are honored to be joined by the French Ambassador to the Philippines, uh, Your Honor, uh, Ambassador Michel Bocuse. I hope I got the pronunciation of your family name right. Cause, Perfect. Thank yeah, because usually if it's French, yeah, there's like silence there. I don't know which. So thank you very much, Maxi Dezouva. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, so today we want to talk about a lot of things, right? Um, and what we want to do in this show is not just to come with, you know, just codable quotes, but we really want to, you know, get to the bottom of some of the important issues. But before that, and this is really where I hope we'll have a different approach to discussing bilateral issues and all is, we want to get to know a little bit about you, Ambassador. You have built quite a reputation here in Manila in a good sense, the caring ambassador. I also remember even at the height of uh, the pandemic, you were very active. You were trying to reach out to a lot of experts, etc. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ambassador? How did you end up as the French ambassador to the Philippines? Oh, well, that's a very difficult question. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I was, well, I was never posted in Asia before I, I came to the Philippines, but I traveled to Asia quite a lot. And I used to work in different backgrounds. I'm a career diplomat, but I, I also have very strong interest in health issues. Right. And I worked for a biomedical research institution at some point called the Pasteur Institute. And I worked on opening Pasteur Institutes in Asia and creating a network. Um, that didn't happen in the Philippines, but um, after I went back to diplomacy after leaving the World Health Organization, uh, I went back to diplomacy and I, I felt that I was really attracted about going to Asia because there's so many things happening in Asia. 
And somehow, in my view, the Philippines and France have very, very much in common. Right. And I was sure it would be really a good match and that there's a lot we could do together. There's a lot more and uh, there's a lot of understanding and um, common culture, common taste. There are lots of things we love in common, like food, right. like singing, like sport, basketball or football. But, uh, there's a lot we, we, we have that we can share and I thought it would be nice to be able to to bring our two countries even closer together. Just of a, I'm just curious. So you have a background in medical sciences or something when you work Not in the past? Really, no. I mean, I'm I'm really a, a career diplomat and I've been right. trained as a diplomat. But things came a little bit by accident because I was posted in Geneva to our yeah. permanent mission, so multilateral diplomacy. Right. And I got really interested in WHA because it was a time when Dr. Brundtland became the director general and she created a transition team between the time she was elected to the moment she took office. Right. And she asked some, some people to join her and I was asked to join her team and I got really interested into health issues. And so when I left Geneva, I joined the Pasteur Institute. And then I went back to traditional diplomacy. But then just before coming here, uh, when Dr. Tedros was elected as WHO Director right. General. It's quite known he, to all of us. Unfortunately, asked, not for the best reasons sometimes. Well, <laughs> but uh, then he asked me to join the team and, right. uh, and my government agreed and I was seconded to join WHO. So I worked in WHO for three years. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit of um, how things happened. I find it very, very interesting, in fact, to be in the Philippines because there's such a variety and there's so much we can do in people-to-people right. people relation and just listening to people, getting to understand them better. And that's why I was reaching out a lot even during the year, the pandemic. Because right. of course it was a bit more challenging to meet people face-to-face -face at the time. But you could still reach out, you could still have a contact with people, you could still listen to them, get to understand what were their concerns and what did they see our relation, what could we do to make it better. What, did, what can we do to bring more people together? And that's where I started from. It doesn't feel as distant as you would have expected, even if it's on the other part of the world. Yeah. No, it doesn't feel distant at all. Yeah. It feels, uh, we have so much proximity. It's right. always saying there's so many things that you like, that we like, that make us uh, immediately very close. We can click uh, together very easily because of that. And of course, there's no language barrier because so right. many people speak perfect English here. Right. So, and French too. And French I, too. Yes, I, I used to, I, I had friends back in college. You used to work in French call centers, mm -hmm. right? And they had yeah. this perfect Parisian yeah, accent and all. So, so mm -hmm. I think for that reason, you know, it's easy to converse. It's easy to deal with people. But I wanted to also ask about. Um, of course, you also came at quite an interesting critical juncture, I would even say, in, in Philippine history. This is towards the end of the Duterte administration and then we were heading into elections. I think that's the time we all got to know each other. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because, of course, on one hand, the Philippines felt familiar, but in some ways, Philippines was not even familiar to some of us from the Philippines when we were under the previous administration, because President Duterte was really a sui generis for a lot of us. You know, the way he questioned our alliance with the United States, the way he pushed for his own version of what I call Asian values 2.0. He was an unprecedented uh, political figure as far as the Philippines is concerned. At the same time, of course, he's quite familiar in a sense of he's similar to Donald Trump's, I would say, in some say some even to Le Pen or Bolsonaro, those kinds of leaders. Did you feel that it's going to be more challenging coming to the Philippines at that time? Or did it make it more exciting in a certain way? 
Well, the Philippines is really a vibrant democracy right. and you have a very active civil society, you have very, uh, a lot of debate, a lot of discussion and um, I thought, I mean, this is, this is the way democracy is and you have people that are your presidents, your, your, your parliaments, they're elected by the people, people make a choice and uh, that's what happens everywhere. So what we have to do is to try and see where we can relate and what it is we can do together and we can work across the board with a number of partners in the, in the Philippines. So that allowed us to have also uh, many opportunities to, to hear about different opinions also in the Philippines and, um, and uh, so it went uh, it wasn't so difficult in that sense, you know, in uh, trying to relate. What was more difficult was the fact that you couldn't really interact directly with people. You had to interact from a distance. And so that makes it a little bit less natural because right. when we are face to face, like we are now, right. we, we just interact and we are in a person to person conversation. When you are talking to somebody whom you've never met before and you meet on the screen, you know, it creates a distance and it's, right. it's not so easy. So I think that was my main challenge when I first arrived. But then you get to know the country, you know, to find, you have to find your way around. And that means listening to people, trying to understand, trying to understand what's happening in the country, uh, what, uh, what are the areas where you can, you can move things forward. And you can always move things forward. You can always try to enhance the, the bilateral relation, but it evolves over time. Uh, it evolves with their... I mean, of course, having elections in the country means that there is going to be a dramatic change in right. the country. Or, I mean, because you know in this country that your president only has one term, so whatever right. happens, it's going to be a new president. So necessarily, it's a change. So it's, it's always a challenge, but it's also a new opportunity because then you can perhaps tackle new fields and develop cooperation in other areas. Ambassador, when you came here, um, of course, there was already kind of a baseline in terms of bilateral relations. But personally, I would think that, you know, there's so much room to our relationship with Europe. And my sense is it's vice versa. That's the sense I get, you know, when I was in Paris, when I was in Europe, is that, you know, we have a lot in common, but it's not like we have tapped into the shared interests as much as we could have. I mean, in the Philippines, of course, for a long time, we were in the shadow of the United States. There's still a top alliance to, uh, to us. And then there's the rise of China, right? Mm -hmm. But Europe, of course, is a very important player globally. And in a sense, Philippines is also emerging as an important player in this part of the world, geopolitically, economically, otherwise, not to mention our people are all, all, all around the world, including in France. What were your priorities when you came here? Like, what kind of goals did you set for yourself? What are the things that right away you felt you have to build on? Well, we felt we had to build on the people-to-people -people relation to right. begin with because this is really the, the foundation of, our, of a strong relation. So it means listening to people, it means talking to people, it means understanding what we can bring together, which is why we, we French people always are very active in cultural diplomacy, right. soft diplomacy. Um, you know, students are also teach, trying to, to teach people how to speak French right. and also trying to learn other languages because I try to learn Tagalog as well, not <laughs> easy, so I do understand why people find it difficult to speak French too. But I mean, that's part of our relation. And so that's how we start building the, the relationship, people to people, culture and so on. Which is why we also decided to celebrate then afterwards our 75th anniversary of bilateral Which was relations. Last year. Yep. Uh, last year, but we're continuing. Because we started on the 26th of June, which is uh, the date of the signature of the Treaty of Amity. Uh, but we decided to continue because after all, it's a whole year, 75th anniversary. Initially, we, we thought we would stop at the end of December, 
And then they said, well, after all, we're addicted to it. We really like it. So we can Let's continue it, a little yeah. bit. So we're going to have more events coming till June. Uh, and uh, after after pandemic, after people had to live more secluded lives, we thought that culture and uh, all the dimension culture can be very broad. You know, people to right. people is very broad. It's uh, it's students' relations. It's uh, it's food. It's sports. It's um, it's um, you know all kinds of activities. Right. Uh, we, uh, singing. It's fashion. It's uh, everything that concerns people can be part of people to people relation and was part of our 75th anniversary and the economic dimension was there as well right. and more contacts and trying to get people to actually come and visit which wasn't so easy initially but comes easier and easier as time goes by so we thought this was the way to tackle things and to right. start um, to start getting closer and to start working with the Philippines. Speaking of people visiting what's what's what are the numbers now I mean are things on an upward swing when it comes to French coming here, like I would hear a lot about, you know, a lot of French people coming to our beautiful beaches here. A lot of people doing remote work, digital nomads, you know. Yes, yes. Uh, I heard mm -hmm. even in Shargao, you know, yes. we have a lot of French coming in into the Philippines, investing here. Also, I'm hearing that a lot of Filipinos are visiting France, etc. What is the trajectory there in terms of tourism and cultural exchange? Well, it's really getting um, back to, I mean, actually even more people traveling than right. uh, before the pandemic. pandemic yeah. uh, we have more French people coming here. We have more French people coming for business reasons because our companies are more present here. Right. And so they're bringing more people, which is one, one thing. But there are also a lot of tourists coming and the Philippines is becoming a much better known destination. Right. This is becoming a top destination for scuba diving, for example, right. but also going around discovering the, the country and all the different aspects of the, the Philippines culture. So this is growing and the numbers of Philippines going to France is really dramatically growing. Right. I mean, last month, for example, for the month of March, if we compare to the number of visas, for example, we delivered in 2019, Not which before is our, pandemic. before pandemic, yeah. 2019 is our benchmark. It's the highest point. Uh, this March, we delivered 20% more visas than we did in 2019. Than pre-pandemic. So well, that's a lot. Uh, huh? It's it's a big uh, it's a big raise. And are these more tourists, more. or they're going to work in France, um, studying in France? There's what? a bit of a mix. I mean, there mm -hmm. are people working in France, but there's uh, there's also business people. Right. And I think if we look business visas versus tourism visa, it's about maybe 20-25% right. business and all the rest is tourism, including pilgrimage, which right. is quite important. To also a lot of people and, going yeah, to Lourdes yeah. or going to, to other places. We even have also uh, relics of French saints visiting the Philippines, you know. Right. Do you know that? We have right. our St. Teresa uh, of the Child Jesus. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that shows We're how close Catholic we are. We're both Catholic majority, yeah. Yeah, one so of the things that, yes. you know. So it's a yeah. lot of our relationship are in that way. So it's growing. It's definitely growing. It's growing fast after the pandemic. I thought it would perhaps take longer. Right. And we see the flight of food and um, we would probably need even more. I mean, it shows the relation is growing. Um, what did you think about Filipino food? Because one of the things that I noticed uh, in Europe, uh, in, in the West in general, is that you know when you say Southeast Asia, it's Thai food, uh, it's Vietnamese food. Mm -hmm. The Thai one I kind of understand because there was really an organized effort by their government and foreign, by their foreign ministry to build the Thai brand. Uh, Vietnam perhaps more organic, especially in France because of the huge uh, Vietnamese French community there. Um, what were your expectations? Because I, I know that Philippines is not as much known for its food, but many people are surprised when they come here. It's like, oh, it's something different. 
And the, also the other reason I'm asking is because France is like the gold standard for gastro food diplomacy. I mean, the whole Michelin star thing started with you guys. The whole, you know, the food branding really started with France. What is your experience so far in the Philippines? I'm sure a lot of chefs in, in Manila have been trained in France or they're coming back. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's very interesting because I, I think the the food scene in Manila right. is really, I mean, in the Philippines, it's really vibrant right. with local specialties that are really different from uh, one city to another. And region. Yeah, and the exactly, region. Yeah. I've been, I don't know, to Bacolod, for example, and they have very special, Chicken. different uh, <laughs> type of uh, cuisine. And uh, there's a lot of uh, creation. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot happening in the, in the scene here. There are lots of um, interactions between France and the Philippines. You know, during our 75th anniversary, we right. brought a chef, free exactly. Michelin star uh, chef, Alain Passard. And uh, the idea was not just for him to come and cook French cuisine. We're not really interested in that. We're interested in also fusion, doing things yeah. together, fusion. Mm -hmm. So fusion, it was, yeah. he cooked uh, dinners with uh, Chef Jesse or right. with uh, Chef Margarita Forrest. Uh, and um, they are more French, uh, more Filipino chefs also in France, and right. they have Philippine restaurants in, right. in France. Um, and there, there are Filipino chefs that have been trained in France, and some of them are coming back to the Philippines. I was uh, I visited one of those restaurants recently. A chef that had been uh, doing Cordon Bleu. He right. had his restaurant in France. He worked with the best chefs in France, and now he's back here. And he's doing an incredible uh, fusion cuisine again right. between uh, Philippine and French, and tasting menu and pairing with wines and incredible, incredible creative. So it's um, it's really a vibrant scene, and there is right. so much happening there, and uh, more traditional, more you know, more creative, innovative, uh, mixing flavors. Um, so that is extremely interesting, and I think it's getting better known in France. And we would like to also make sure that yeah. uh, the French tourists also come here to the Philippines for to food discover for you know, food those, tourism, yeah. those, you know, those creative chefs and the, the young generation coming with new ideas. A lot of perspectives. Because you know, my sense is, I mean, as someone who quite travels a lot, is having Michelin star really helps. Uh, yeah. It really attracts, particularly more, you know sometimes posh kind of tourism mm -hmm. etc right in istanbul for instance a number of you know restaurants are going in that direction it put immediately istanbul on the map in ways that perhaps it was not before uh for food tourism uh are we looking at for instance bring michelin people here to, uh, do you think that would help i mean like because i always wondered why don't we have as many in the Philippines? like in lima in peru for instance i think they have a lot of michelin star and the, be the beauty of peru is that it's also very fusion there's the asian side to it there's a latin american side uh of course tokyo one of the highest per capita michelin star so a lot of our neighbors here are actually building in, in, in you know in thailand you have street food folks already have michelin star yeah. so what's going on i mean uh, Maybe that could be one of the centerpiece of your term in the Philippines. I mean, I hope before you leave the Philippines, you have a few Michelin star, at least two star ones here in Manila. Yeah, actually, I think it would be a very good idea right. to, to do that because a lot of people now, I mean, uh, tourist travels for all kinds of reasons. Uh, of yeah, reasons. Yeah. And it used not to be the case in the past, but now more and more people travel for food because they just want to have the food experience. And obviously, if you have Michelin star chefs in the country, right. that's really very attractive. And people would come to the country to discover the food through those restaurants. And they would do many other things. And they would get to know the, the country and appreciate other dimensions right. in the country. But that's a very good entry point. 
So definitely it would be really good to have uh, um, some chefs in the Philippines that would be recognized right. Michelin-starred uh, chefs. Yep. And that would be a good way of starting uh, because then they would be attracting, they would be attracting new chefs, they would be also training uh, right. other chefs and that would uh, go around the country. Also using the variety of the different uh, cuisines. Right. You have cuisines from the Cordillera, you have cuisines from... Uh, Maranao, yes. and then of course Ilocano, where we Ilocano, come from, very yes. vegetable heavy. I mean, one of the things I always get from the less informed foreigners, especially mm -hmm. some of our American friends, is, oh, Filipino, it's all like pork and oil. I said, mm -hmm. you have no idea. You haven't tried the Ilocano food. It's very vegetable heavy. You know, when I come, come from Baguio, it's where... Mm -hmm. This is big for us, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So I just felt, you know, the diversity of our cuisine is not a, as much appreciated. But I also know, looking at the history of Peru, mm -hmm. of of Thailand, etc., how things could change in very few years, yes. especially if you got the Michelin star. Yeah. Uh, but Ambassador, mm -hmm. sorry for being ignorant about it. How does it work? Like you have to invite them to come here? Like how does it work? Should there be a uh, the concerted effort to, to get them here? Like how does the review process really Yes, get I think going? You, you can definitely invite them. Right. Uh, I think the Ministry of Tourism in the Philippines, I mean, I want to speak in their behalf, but I think they're quite interested in, exactly, uh, in yeah. that. And yes, definitely you can, uh, you can um, reach out to them and uh, invite them to come and discover. And uh, of course, you would need to, to show that you have a variety and that you already have chefs right. that could be reaching this kind of standard, right. which I think is the case in the Philippines. Already, yeah. You also have great hotels, and I think that's also part of the attraction. And of course, to have a, a, Mich a red Michelin guide, right. you have to have enough you know, substance. But you could start with their website because they have a website right. and they, they have a Sorry for a making you a free consultant, <laughs> Philippine <laughs> no, no, but definitely, yeah. I mean, they can, yeah. they can post already some Right. comments on the Philippines on there yes. online. There's an app. Have you downloaded the Michelin app? Uh, no, I, mean, I knew Try. Michelin because of the tire yeah. thing and car yeah. thing and all yes. back in the days. So I was like shocked like, oh, now mm. they, they're the guys for food, right? Yes. Like, from my childhood, I remember yeah. Michelin for the tire yeah. thing and all, yeah, mm. for car issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, they started <laughs> doing these guides yes. because, well, I mean, they're the job Michelin's are core core business is tires. Right. And why did they start doing that? Because they realized that if they want people to buy ties, they need to use their ties and they need to wear them out and buy new ones. So they tried to get people to travel around the country. <laughs> right. yeah. And that's why they thought right. that developing tourism guides would make people move around more. And that's how it all started. And then it became really your people got addicted to that and right. they wanted to have Michelin guides everywhere and now having Michelin starred chefs is uh, really an attraction for it tourism is. in a country big, yeah. and uh, or having hotels that are, are also recognized by Michelin and all that and um, so that has become an important part of their business as right. well but they do they still do that for free you know at the moment they just yeah, um, exactly, of yeah. course they pay for their meals because they do it completely right. anonymously nobody course, knows yeah, who they yeah, are so it's completely you know completely blind review blind yeah. review, review nobody yeah. knows who they are they don't do anything special they're just a normal client right. and they they go to visit hotels they go to different places exactly. and it's all paid for by michelin so right. It's uh, it's quite a, actually a generous. So why not? I think it will make a lot of sense because I think the Philippines are reaching the level now where right. it makes sense to uh, you know get the chefs to be better known, get also the um, the tourism scene to be better known. 
the attractions, what you can do, and there's so much you can do in this country. Yeah, we have gorgeous beaches, one of the best in the world. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm glad like Vogue magazine, some of the mm -hmm. you know really cutting edge publications out there, you know, they're mm -hmm. highlighting how great the Philippine scenes are. But yes. I hope to see more of the Philippine food uh, mm -hmm. scenery. I think that's yes. also a fantastic one. Mm -hmm. um, and culture as and well, exactly. vibrant culture. It's very much a historical side. You have UNESCO sites, beautiful sites like I don't know the underground river in Palawan right, right. or uh, the rice terraces in Benawi. That allowed me when I visited Benawi to discover the Ifugao cuisine yes, as well. Yes. Very, very different, very different. Very different. The, the native yes. chicken, the yes. red rice, it's yes. something very different. Exactly. Yeah. Let me a little bit ask more about this before going to the other aspect of culture, which I know are very close to your heart. Um, you know, how is the education scene doing? I remember when I was teaching in Ateneo, I had a lot of students from Cienspo, for instance, right? And we have a lot of good friends from Cienspo. I have, my, I have a number of friends who are studying Cienspo. I mean, generally in the Philippines, we have, a, we have a strong linkages with American University and to a lesser degree with Australia and, and United Kingdom. But what about educational uh, co collaboration between our top institutions and yours? You know, I mean, I personally know how great your universities are, but I'm just not sure they're as much appreciated here and vice versa, I suppose mm -hmm. that's also the issue, right? Like yeah. Sorbonne and yeah. you know, the, Yes, we, we do have collaboration, but we're really trying to bring it to the next, next level, level and exactly, to increase exactly. it because of course it was, it slowed down because of the pandemic, because people right. couldn't travel anymore. So it was, you know, a bit of a gap. So we're restarting again. Uh, so there are projects, like there's an initiative funded by the Senate actually, in trying to bring Philippine studies in Sciences Po. Yes. And so Sciences Po right. has agreed to that. So we would be doing a program oh, nice. probably in June, I think, or something like that. And it will be like uh, international language or it will be like French? It or? would be, no, it could be international. I mean, so like I can apply, I'm yes, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and also you can, we have a lot of scholarships also right, for, exactly. for uh, students, to yeah. allow students to go to French universities. Lots of first students are a bit afraid of the language barrier, barrier yeah. but actually we do uh, also some of the teaching yeah. international sections in English. So it means that Filipino students can also study in France in, uh, in English. It used to be very different. It used yeah. to be really French, but now we're doing a mix. And exactly. so that allows foreign students to be, uh, let's say, finding it easier to start with. And in the end, they always learn French and because right. uh, they want to talk to other people, they meet girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever, and they speak <laughs> French in the end. But initially, there's yes. this uh, mix of languages. And uh, so we're really trying to promote that. We're trying to, to promote also to, to help students um, uh, get to know better. So we have students fairs where we, we, we showcase what we're doing in the different segments, not only in Paris, by the way, but also in other cities, because right. we have really good universities in other cities Marseille, as well. Marseille, Nice, yeah, yeah. Bordeaux, yeah. Um, yeah. Lyon, Grenoble, right. I mean, so many different places. So there's a variety of uh, this specific potential. And we're also trying to showcase the Filipinos that are success stories, because there's so many mm. success stories in people who studied in the Philippines, which is why last um, October, right. we had this big event organized by the French uh, Chamber of Commerce. And we, uh, we gave awards to some of the well-known Filipino alumni, like in all different uh, areas like medicine or science or economy or fashion or you know all kinds of different areas and we're going to continue with that right. and those people can be the best uh, examples and they can explain why they were so interested with France why they loved studying in France and why they would advise other students 
to go and showcase that you can really have a very, very interesting sure. career. Um, but you don't have to go to specific areas. You can study in, in a variety of countries and um, have a very interesting professional uh, life back in the Philippines as well. So that's what we're trying to do and to promote. And uh, we are trying to work a lot more with universities and uh, French universities and Philippine right. universities and different schools as well, specialized schools. I'm seeing more European cars, but it's not the usual German cars. It's now I'm seeing more Peugeot. I mean, like some of the French cars here, you know. Um, mm -hmm. what, what's happening? How is the trajectory of bilateral trade and investment evolved? Well, it's going really well. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, a lot more attention given by French companies to the Philippines. Right, exactly. And we have a lot more French companies being present here, investing in the Philippines in a variety of areas. Uh, it's really quite vibrant. At the moment, mm -hmm. we have around, I would say, 130 French companies in the Philippines, which is really not bad at all. Right. And some of them are really big employers. We created uh, 62,000 jobs uh, last year, for example, which is quite a lot, big, it's quite yeah, sizable. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's growing. And we have companies coming in the Philippines with, uh, with very important projects uh, that they're going to develop, for example, uh, recently, um, Alstom and Colas Rail as a consortium, right. uh, they're going to be doing all the electromechanic part of the uh, north-south commuter railway. So right. they're coming, they're bringing in their, uh, a lot of people, French people, but not only, more globally. They're going to employ a lot of people here in the Philippines, so that's going to be creating yeah. employment. There's investment in our new technologies like, uh, well, well, new technologies or like, let's say a renewable energy, for right. example, there's a big France project big, yeah. with um, Total Energy are doing this kind of project. It's going to be a huge solar farm, for example, uh, and some niche also with extremely creative, uh, uh, innovative young French companies like uh, Hydrogen of France, right. creating a project. Startup style. Yeah. yeah, they're in Zamboanga City, so right. they're not only in Manila, they're all over the country. And they're creating jobs also, and they're bringing you know new techniques to uh, store electricity and uh, energy. And what about nuclear energy? I mean, I know this is quite controversial. I mean, at least from for some quarters, um, what's what's going on there? Because France relies heavily on nuclear uh, you know energy. I was just in Spain the other month, and mm -hmm. we're looking at the you know payload and electricity. You could see in France, you're very very reliant on nuclear technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, even compared to some major economies in Europe. Are, are you looking at sharing the technology here, especially with the new administration, looking at diversification of our base? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, nuclear energy is very important in, in France. I mean, if you take our electricity, for example, 70% of electricity yeah. is produced by nuclear power plants and 27% is produced by renewable energy like hydroelectricity or mm -hmm. other sources, which means that our dependence on gas, for example, was only 3%. Right. And during the Ukraine uh, crisis, I mean, because of the, the Russian invasion, and and then there, it was a, a huge problem for many countries that were really very Germany, heavily dependent instance, on, yeah. on Russian gas. So that wasn't the case for us. And what happens also is that uh, electricity is really cheap because we invested in nuclear power plants a long time ago. And the cost of electricity is one of the lowest, if not the lowest, in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we, that allowed us also to share our electricity with countries that were more affected by the crisis with Russian gas, right. for example. Uh, and uh, we have our technologies, we have knowledge, we have a long experience, we've had, never had a problem of any kind. We have uh, nuclear physicists, we have 
safety uh, regulation agencies. Yeah, because the safety is a big that. issue, right? I mean, yes. in, you have Energy Vende in, yeah. in Germany uh, for quite some time, especially under Merkel. Uh, Chancellor Merkel, she emphasized, you know, moving away from because of what happened in Fukushima, etc. Like, what do you have yeah. to say about the critics who are saying, it's like, hmm, I'm not sure if nuclear technology is the right one for the 21st century. It well, made sense in the 20th century. I think this has changed. And mm -hmm. because of that crisis mm -hmm. recently, uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of change in the public opinion. I mean, in France, it's always been well accepted. I mean, there right. were moments where there were questions or whatever, but the, uh, the acceptance by the population is absolutely huge. And of course, with the current crisis, it's even bigger because people realize that uh, it's it's big advantage uh, currently because it gives us more independence in production, um, and um, I mean obviously you know it's uh, there were there was these questions like Fukushima and others, but I, we also talked to our Japanese counterparts mm -hmm. on that, and um, this we learn also the lessons, uh, and we can produce our energy from nuclear power plants with complete security, which we've done for a number of years. Now they are new technologies as well. And of course, the smart modular reactor are very mm. interesting technologies. So for a country like the Philippines, the problem you have in the Philippines at the moment it's is greed, that, yeah. well, electricity is very, is, expensive. is very expensive. It's mostly produced from uh, fossil fuels uh, like coal or gas. And there, there is a real wish to, to change the mix and to make it greener, less carbonated. And so exploring nuclear can be an option. Uh, so of course, we have the larger plants like, uh, like the, the ones we've been traditionally uh, uh, having in France for so many years. But we're moving now very much to the newer technology. The modular reactors are very different. Uh, you don't have to build a huge building to host um, mm -hmm. uh, small, smart modular reactors. Actually, the technology comes from what we, we use also in nuclear-powered submarines. So it's very right, compact, right, right. very small. And you don't build an SMR, you assemble it from different parts and pieces and it's, it's contained. And so then you have to put it, of course, you have to house it somewhere. But the, the, the modular reactor is it's really contained. And um, it's quite, uh, it's, you know, it's a much safer technique for a country with, uh, with earthquakes or right. this kind of phenomenon. Fault it's lines it's and so all much that, easier yeah. to protect and to install somewhere when it's not going to be affected. It's also smaller. It can produce electricity for uh, a country like an archipelago like yours. Right. Has huge challenges because of you know hazarding the island. islands. No, exactly. What about the grid? There's also yep. an issue about the grid. So that allows you to have uh, capacity to serve smaller communities, and so that's something worth exploring. Mm -hmm. But of course, you have to put into place the whole system, which means a regulatory system. Right. You have to be compliant with the requi the requirements of the um, atomic, yeah, yeah, the IEA. Uh, you have to make sure that you you have your your lawmakers are regulating how right. it's going to be organized. You have to create a pool of scientists also that can deal with that. You have to create your your safety uh, authority that is going to regulate that right. and, and so on and so forth. So it takes time. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It will take time to, to build up the whole environment. What about the uh, waste management part of it? Because many are saying, yes, a lot of technolo technological breakthroughs have happened, but mm -hmm. still managing the nuclear waste is something that some would say is not handled properly yet or there's no permanent solution or well there's, uh, solution. there's something we've been dealing with for so many years because we've had so many years of experience mm -hmm. 
and we've been dealing with our, those big uh, power plants. So the, the smart modular ones are much smaller, so you don't generate so much waste and it's not completely dealt with in the same way. But you have to have also your, your facilities. And right. of course, we have experience with that, of course, and we can uh, really share that experience and expertise. And uh, we're quite quite happy to uh, organize study tours and to, to show mm -hmm. our, how things are being done to and to to share the, the knowledge and expertise we've acquired. But then it's a political decision at some point, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I, there's been discussion between our two presidents on what are the priorities of the cooperation between France right. and the Philippines and they've identified a few areas, they've identified the maritime sector in, in all its components including the security defense aspects, they've identified food security right. which is a major issue in the world at the moment as well, um, they've identified of course energy security and finally, all the, the global issues like climate change issues, biodiversity uh, issues in particular. So that's right. part of the dialogue mm -hmm. we have at the moment. And we, you notice now we're already in the territory of more contentious issues. It came earlier than I thought. But um, one reason in the Philippines there's a lot of skepticism about nuclear uh, technology is because of the precedence. Uh, in particular, we're talking about the Bataan nuclear power plant. As you know, reports suggest that IEA, for instance, like. 2000 or like hundreds of technical problems, huge corruption issues, cost overruns. Um, you know, I actually visited the plant. I also visited Fukushima two years after the incident. And, and you know, because I've been studying also the German case, uh, the French case is something I'm yet to know more about. So I was in Spain for the renewable energy, for instance. Um, because some would say, you know, okay, there's a thing with nuclear technology, but does the Philippines have the right regulatory environment to ensure we can keep it as safe and sensible and non-corruptible as we have in some of the more advanced mature democracies like yours right that's one area of concern and the others were saying and i get this a lot from our german friends it's like why not just leapfrog and go for more aggressive full renewable for instance you know the things we see in northern philippines you know the windmills and as also the storage capacity the battery technology also improves i suppose france is also gonna uh, is is a player in in that realm, right? Um, mm. As far as the other forms, or some would say, yes. real forms of renewable energy are mm. concerned. Yeah. Yes, I mean, our, well, we are we are uh, working on different kinds Diversified, of our, yeah. yes, diversifying your sources of energy. But then renewable are are very interesting sources. But at the moment, most of the renewable you, you cannot have on a on a full-time basis. I mean, if you have solar energy, yeah. it's not a 24-hour, 24-7. If you have wind energy, it's not 24-7. It's a challenge for a country like uh, the Philippines because you also have typhoons right. and, and all of that. So you have to have techniques that are adapted to your country and so on. So you, you have to have an energy mix. You cannot rely on only one source of energy. Mm -hmm. You cannot rely on uh, solar energy only. You cannot rely on, um, on wind energy. And if you have, you need to have storage facilities like hydrogen, for example, right. or others, which are really creative and new. But it's very difficult to imagine that that's going to be the only source you're going to have in mm -hmm. your country. Uh, and then there's question of the cost also of energy. Yes. Because if your energy is expensive, then you're going to be less attractive to foreign investment. Because the cost of energy is one of the areas that if you want to develop an industry... Especially that, manufacturing, yeah. Exactly. It's a big problem it's, for the Philippines, utility issue, costs, yeah. yeah. So you probably have to have a mix and then right. you can have some nuclear in your mix. But of course you have to have the proper environment. You just have to make sure that you're properly regulated. Yes, yeah. That needs to have inspections, it needs to have make sure the facilities are, are properly maintained and, and so on. 
Where are we now as far as AUKUS is concerned and as far as France's relationship with the AUKUS is concerned? Because now people are saying maybe you have to put the letter F uh, in addition to AUKUS. People are making all sorts of memes and permutations about what if France joins AUKUS or wants to help it. Like, what's going on there with AUKUS and the French connection? Well, uh, I mean, first of all, we, we just uh, heard recently about what were the next steps in AUKUS because right. that was announced uh, uh, some time ago, but we didn't really know where it was going. So there were announcements on what was planned within the alliance. Uh, at the moment, there's no there's no plan to for France to join um, AUKUS. I mean, definitely when uh, when the announcement was made, it was made um, in a, in a rather unexpected uh, right. way, which is the reason why we were a bit upset. To put um, it mildly, yeah, rather unexpected. Because uh, we had uh, we had two plus two meetings just uh, two weeks before, where we were told that everything was perfect and it was all going well, and then all of a sudden we realized that there were issues. Out, yeah. So of course we were a little bit upset with that, but we started engaging in conversation with our the partners in Walkers, and definitely. Uh, conversations with the U.S. were engaged very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. There were, there was an understanding that indeed maybe it was more the way it's been announced that the the fact that I right. mean everybody is is, our, is completely free to change their mind to decide of other choices, and we would quite understand that. I mean, the Australians so did that to the Japanese too. I understand yeah. Surya Submarine was also one of their options early on. So you're not the first one um, that they know, kind of dumped. Yeah, and this yeah. is the ups and downs of yeah. any, any relationship. Right. So yes, we, we engage discussion, we re-engage discussions, of course. Uh, well, I mean, Australia decided to really re-engage mm. with us at a very high level, and there were there was an official visit of the Prime Minister to uh, to France, and we've really raised the level of our relationship. As you saw, there were also uh, contacts at the highest level between right. France and the UK. So we definitely are in conversation, and of course, there are moments where we can see things differently, and then we and we all have to cooperate in, in, in a way. I mean, uh, security at, at the moment is a very high challenge, yeah. and we cannot afford to be divided on, on issues. So. Definitely, things are are evolving, and have evolved a lot in, in a good direction. Because I remember last year during the Munich Security Conference, your foreign minister was a little bit. He was still upset. I could see that he gives a speech. It was the Quad uh, uh, panel. Mm -hmm. But when I was in Paris uh, a week later, on thanks to you, I mean, I, I got to also meet our counterparts and French minister, etc., discuss things. I, I was told that actually. Uh, your foreign minister was holding actually invented quad members in Australia among others and I was told that things went very well uh, by my contacts there mm -hmm. so I was thinking maybe there's a lot of drama you know on state drama but behind the scenes maybe things are being patched up not only I think that when you're unhappy about something and we had reason to yeah. be unhappy about about that you really need to raise it and to bring it to the right level and I think we told our partners why we were upset and uh, uh, what needed to change and that we needed to rebuild the trust and we needed right. to rebuild the relation. And they agreed that indeed somehow things could have been done differently and that we still needed to be finding ways of working together and we still needed to rebuild the trust and the relation. And that happened little by little, different speed according to the different partners. And uh, we, but we have to we have to see where our best defense interests are, right. where the strategy is. When we all have an Indo-Pacific strategy in this region, is really absolutely key. It's, it's at the core of our concerns, but we have to dialogue, we have to mm -hmm. talk, we have to work together, we have to see what we can do together differently, better. How can we relate to each other uh, and, and make sure that we learn from the, the lessons of uh, that uh, what happened? Because we really don't want 
things to happen again. It's not a good way to work among allies and among close allies. Uh, I mean, the, the U.S. is our oldest ally in this sense, right. and, and uh, we have many partners that we, we really want to to, to uh, rebuild the trust and work with. And I think we're really in a very good way, um, and uh, see what's the best in terms of our, our our common vision of the world. And and we see that the world is really unstable. And we yeah. just, we Speaking just have to turn the page yeah. and go uh, to the. Yeah, I want to push on this point, Ambassador. I mean. Philippines was perhaps the only country in Southeast Asia that kind of publicly supported AUKUS. I mean, at least that's my contention. And Philippines is exceptional for many reasons. We have a treaty alliance with the United States. We have a Salas Forces Agreement with Australia. We're working on something. I mean, I'm already talking about the JAFLAS, Japan, Philippine, US kind of trilateral alliance. Um, from the French perspective, um, how important is AUKUS for regional balance and security? Because that's the argument of our foreign ministry here. From the Duterte to Marcos administration, our line is quite consistent. We're essentially saying China is becoming very powerful. China has actually not only nuclear-powered, but nuclear missile-carrying submarines. And they're huge naval force. And they're building their navy unlike anything in human history. Just the speed by which they're rolling out frigates and all. What is the understanding of France and or, or U- European Union in general? And how is it? different from, let's say, the American way of looking at it, or Japanese. Is there a unique EU or French understanding of how the balance in, uh, you know, how the balance of power in the region is evolving and what should be done about it accordingly? I think we probably have a slightly different approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obvious that China is, uh, is, is a big country. It's the second largest economy in the world. It's developed also uh, a fleet. It's developed uh, right. uh, you know, a presence in the region that is much more assertive than uh, it used to be in the past. I think the difference between their, our Indo-Pacific strategy, I mean, France started having an Indo-Pacific strategy. And first then. ambassador, Indo-Pacific ambassador, if I'm not mistaken, was France, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And uh, Germany and then the Netherlands and then from that we decided EU. that we needed it to make it EU and to have a strategy. So our vision is that we are we don't want to be confrontational. We think that there are different right. ways in which we can we can work with the country. We think that a country like China, which is we have there are areas where we want to partner with mm. China, like the global issues, climate change and others, we need to work with China because they're they're a bit a big emitter. So if we want to have progress in climate change, we need to have some cooperation. And it worked because we see that China has been delivering on a number of areas in uh, in this, this global issues, like uh, the Kunming Montreal right. you know, conference on biodiversity was being very constructive on oceans and you know, a number of issues. That we've been, uh, there's been progress made that benefited the whole of the international community. Then there are areas where we are in, uh, we are rivals, like in terms of uh, commercially, we may you know we we, we are there are markets and so on, and there are areas that are much more sensitive. So we have the scope of uh, you know going from uh, areas where we can partners to areas where we just see the world in a very different way. But we we allow space for that. Uh, with the EU strategy and the, the, the French, German, uh, I or think Dutch EU is a term like systemic rival or something like that. Yeah, systemic uh, rival. Which is like everyone's like scratching their head. How is this different from the American understanding of strategic rivalry? I mean, in what sense? I mean, one of the big questions people also ask in ASEAN in the region is like, why? What's up with the French and British? Why should they be here? I mean, of course, I understand you have territories actually in this part of the mm-hmm. world, but I think not many people appreciate. But can you tell us why is it 
why the presence of Europe strategically and increasingly militarily because you're doing naval deployments here why is it important uh, why should we appreciate your presence here because some would say you're just adding fuel to fire you know, well for us I mean for well first of all for for the, the whole of the world this region is, is very, very important yeah. because it's a very large part of trade very large part of production it's a very large part of the the global economy the ASEAN for example is really uh, as a group, it's, right. it's a very important partner for all of us in the region. And so, of course, we need to continue working on this partnership. Uh, France, of course, is, uh, is probably the only European country to be really present in the region with our uh, territories right. in uh, French Polynesia, what is in Putina, New Caledonia. And we have between the, the, the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean, where we also have territories, uh, we have uh, over two million French citizens, so which is uh, which is quite important, Huge, yeah. and um, more than ninety percent of our economic exclusive economic zone is in these two oceans. In fact, so oh wow, that is that's quite a lot. important. Yeah, it's a, a lot, lot for yeah. us. So there's a lot that's at stake point, for us, yeah. and we have a military. We have a permanent military presence in these regions, and they do our, our, our fleets and our armed forces in the Pacific or in the Indian Ocean. Um, perform a number of tasks that can go from HADR, I mean, or, you know, disaster reduction, or humanitarian assistance. Yeah. Uh, for us, there's no difference between the, the uh, what is here, the Navy and the Coast Guards, for example. The Navy has the role that the Coast Guards have here in supporting people right. as well. So we, we do that and it's very important. And we have patrols around the world also because uh, like the UK, for example, we are a P5 country right. in the in the UN, so we are a permanent member of the UN Security Council. So security in the world is, of course, so our concern. Uh, this region is is important commercially. It's important um, for you know for strategic reasons. It's important for a number of, of mm -hmm. causes. And so we are we have a military presence, and we also patrol. Uh, our our ship, our navy uh, around the world, and you know when we're talking also including through the West Philippine Sea or South China yes, Sea, of right? Course, yeah. Including, we we one of the pillars for for us for international relations is multilateralism, right. and we support that. This is very very important. We built with uh, Germany a program called Alliance for Multilateralism, uh, mm. and if you believe in multilateralism you, you cannot just say it you have to walk the talk and you have right. to show that you're actually acting on it which is why we deploy our fleet which is why we deploy including nuclear attack submarines like right. the emerald was in this region and just patrol the waters here because freedom of navigation and we support that the un convention on the law and the philippine arbitration point. case i remember exactly, the other year yes. you had uh, exactly. three-way british german french yes. not verbal to the United Nations we when did, you mentioned, yes. hey, it's, it, this is final, this is binding, and yeah. we stand with the Philippines. I think Absolutely. that was very important. We appreciated that. Are we going to see more of that? Mm -hmm. Do you feel more confident, especially now we have an administration in the Philippines mm -hmm. that also is asserting it, maybe not, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more than before. Let me mm -hmm. just put it that way, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you cannot, if you decide you want to, to follow the rule of law, you want to follow the UN Convention, you cannot choose and pick and decide what you're going to apply, what you're not going right. to apply. So yes, definitely we're supporting that and we're acting on that basis. And uh, yes, we are present in the region. Yes, we're doing more uh, joint exercises and roles with our navies in, the, in this region and with the Philippines. <laughs> For example, we participated in Samoa. Yes, I wanted to actually go to the bilateral, right? Because I mean, if I'm not missing, not long ago you had 
goodwill visits by our you know French naval counterparts and I think you know I, I've been traveling around the region I know in Vietnam for instance uh, you have had interesting good uh, relations yes. with them with mm. India with yes, Australia yes. but now with the mm. Philippines I mean mm. what are you looking at in terms of bilateral maritime security mm. cooperation are we looking at sales of submarines or frigates to the Philippines or are we looking at just capacity building coast guard mm. just domain awareness just those basic things it's not just a matter of selling you know equipment right. it's a matter of really building a relation and a partnership in right. the Philippines and in the region because yes I can talk about to bilateral but multilateral or regional as well. I mean, we have developed this kind of uh, of uh, cooperation and, and actually putting into place, uh, you know, a, a real long-term vision with Malaysia, right. building it with Indonesia, with Singapore, where we have uh, a lot of uh, very, very active cooperation. And that is also happening with the Philippines. We've had cooperation with the Philippines in defense for a long time. We have on a regular basis, some of your high level uh, officers being trained in the uh, in our defense college and right, right. called the war college in France. It's a year and a half training and right. we train them on a regular basis. We have a lot of uh, joint uh, drills and exercise that we want to increase in uh, also our uh, HADR like uh, Marara or Southern Cross exercise where we part where right, Philippines right. participate all the time. We have our training. What we need to, to build, what we want to build, is really a partnership. It's a cooperation. It's not a one shot. It's not something that right. we just come and uh, we sell something and go. So it's basically the relationship. Long term strategic partnership. Long term, yes. Yeah. And so we're going to have portals where we had the PASACs recently with the Prairie right. our frigate. We're going to have a frigate coming here also at the end of uh, June to have joint exercises. We will have a visit of. Um, Rear Admiral Dandigny, who is our right, new right. our new Admiral Joint Commander of the Armed Forces, French Armed Forces in the Pacific, will be here. We'll be spending time meeting his counterparts, discussing, uh, meet also in other fora like Shangri-La Dialogue and many others. But he wants to come here and visit and be able to uh, to to talk to his counterparts on how to build the cooperation. So this is really a long-term and it's an inclusive vision of uh, working together and being being a trusted long-term partner. Ambassador, I just realized that there's so much more to discuss and it's, I think it's almost like, it's, it's almost approaching an hour as far as conversation concerned. Now, a little bit like looking forward, we're still new into this administration as far as the Ferdinand Marcus Jr. administration is concerned. I think so far the signal has been very positive at least with our Western allies. I think ironically, some would even say in the West, he's a breath of fresh air, which is something I didn't expect to be said about a Marcos back in the day because of the history and everything like that. Um, what are your hopes for the bilateral relationship? What are the, uh, what are the you know, low-hanging fruits, perhaps? And what are the more feasible big things we can do in the coming years? So are we looking at uh, Macron also visiting the Philippines in the near future? I know you guys are going to be busy with your Olympics. Macron has just visited the region, Asia, Beijing. Well, our president goes around a lot, <laughs> as we understand, perhaps for good reasons. Is, it, is there a kind of state visit in the, in the pipelines? What should we look forward to in terms of big, grand, interesting events between the two countries? Well, I really think we need to bring our relations to the next level now. Right. And uh, as our president uh, already talked and met, they met in New York in the margins right. of the General Assembly. They met in Bangkok in the margins of the APEC summit. And our president actually sent a letter of invitation right. uh, proposing uh, 
uh, a state, state visit, visit yeah. which is the highest level of, yeah, yeah, of a yeah. visit in France to, to your president. So we're very happy to welcome him at any time that is convenient for him. Uh, some people already told <laughs> me here in, in Manila that uh, it would be nice also to have a return visit in the sense yes, that our president Macron, cups, which yeah. sounds really yeah. exciting. So, I mean, this is all of this is possible. Uh, and we are really looking forward to uh, to increasing the level of our relation, to extending the level of our relation. Uh, as we've been discussing since the beginning, I think we have a lot in common. So it would be a great opportunity to, to take our relations to the next step and to be able to do more together uh, in a variety of domains. And the state visit is a good opportunity to really bring things to the next level, to, to discuss a variety right. of topics. But that is very much in the hands of presidents and they will have to, to decide what they, what they choose to do or, and how and when. And uh, we are there to make things happen, but they are the decision makers. Exciting times. Thank you very much, Ambassador uh, Michelle Bocuse, for that very comprehensive discussion. I hope this is just the beginning of this kind of conversation and beginning for a new era in bilateral relationship between France uh, and the Philippines. On that note, thank you very much for joining us for The View from Manila. So there you are, Philippine-French relations, so many potentials and so many things and to look forward to. Oh, and by the way, yeah, please. A yeah. bit of documentation. Yes, thank that's you very much for this. That's what we did last year. Yes. And that's what we did in March. So you can really look at all the areas we're working on. Thank you on. very much. So, so Ambassador, Reading maybe this you. will be a, our next, hopefully, next topic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so much more to discuss. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you very much indeed. Merci, Merci beaucoup. Maramin salamat po. Thank you.